have joy in the Lord. <clears throat> I needed that actually. That's and and I needed a drink of water too. So. <laughs> I am so blessed to be here with you tonight. We are in Isaiah chapter 11. It's one of those chapters, actually the next four chapters that we're going to be reading through uh, tonight uh, are, are one of these uh, cornerstones of the Old Testament in terms of prophecy. Uh, and seeing as we walk through these chapters, not only being able to look back with 2020 vision and seeing how God has performed many of these prophecies, He is still faithful uh, today. Amen. Chapter 11, verse 1 There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity from the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie oh, with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's Whole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so, Father, tonight as we approach your word, as we open up your word and, and place it before our eyes tonight, that you would reveal something new to us. Maybe this is a section that uh, we have never read before, or maybe it's a section we've read many, many times, or, or maybe we've heard even uh, prophetic conferences on these sections. Whatever it may be, I ask that you would reveal something new to us tonight that would literally prick our hearts and help us to grow closer to you tonight, to see your faithfulness, to see what you will do for us. And Lord, I do, I lift up to you, my friends here in this room, I lift up to you, those that are online. I thank you so much for the amazing worship team uh, that we have, the privilege of having a group of people that have practiced and, and prepared uh, for tonight, those guys in the back that make sure that not only the, the sound is, is clear, that the videos are working, and that the internet is being sent forth even tonight to those that weren't able to make it, Lord. I ask you bless them. And Lord, I ask you bless those, my friends and my family in this room, that you would help us tonight to glorify you. And not, not to come in with hearts that are covered with some sort of a facade that we have to be here. 
but to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we desire, that we need uh, to be here tonight. And Lord, we lift up to you our pastors. We thank you so much uh, for Pastor Mike, A, B, and C. And oh, Lord, we ask that you would just bless them, give them clear direction and wisdom for our church, our elders, uh, Larry and Ron. We thank you so much for the wise leadership that you've put over uh, this uh, congregation, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This is one of those sections, like I said earlier in Isaiah, the, the privilege that we have. And you probably see a lot of these references and you say, well, I, I kind of understand that or kind of guess that. Uh, these are all prophetic, starting in chapter 11 now, continuing with our section that we've been going through of the prophetic word of God as Isaiah is proclaiming to the people of Israel, again, an obstinate people, a people that don't want to hear uh, the word of God, just like our culture uh, today. And I'm so grateful to look around the room here, and, and those of you online, again, you could be doing anything else right now, uh, but you're here, and I appreciate that. Uh, very, very much. In chapter 6, we saw the holiness of God. God literally sitting on the throne as Isaiah prepares for his ministry. In chapter 7 and 9, we see the Emmanuel, that same God, sending his son uh, to uh, the earth to be God uh, with us. All these things fulfilled in their perfect timing uh, by God himself. And now in chapter 11, we go not only to the genealogy of the Messiah, but the one who will come and bring about a kingdom that will not end. A, a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. It says in verse 1 there, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall go out of his roots. You see, Jesse had a whole bunch of sons, right? You remember the story in 1 Samuel, when Samuel goes out and he goes to Jesse, and he goes starting from the oldest down to the uh, youngest, right? And, and he gets to the very youngest that's in the house, and he says, are there any more? After God says, nope, 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 nope. Are there any more? And where was the last one? Yeah, out in the fields watching the sheep, right? David himself, that little shepherd boy who was making sure that those sheep were safe. And this is from whom now the Messiah will come forth. Uh, the one from not only the line of Jesse, but from the line of David, which goes all the way back to the line of Judah itself. The rod must come forth from the line of Jesse. This picture of not only a rod of protection that a shepherd would use, but also a scepter that would be used as a ruling king. Do you see the picture? It's absolutely beautiful. All nuanced, brought together, a shepherding king. And wasn't that the way King David was in his ministry, in his life? He was able to shepherd the people of Israel. In fact, the last 20 years of David's life, he was able to bring all 
12 tribes together as a single nation in a monarchy. Not since the time of Moses and Joshua had the nation of Israel been brought together as a complete nation, all 12 tribes together. But not only that, verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This Messiah would have not only the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit himself, every single one of these, all four of these spirits, literally capitalized with a capital S, representing the Holy Spirit, and to understand that God the Father, the Holy, 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 who sends uh, the Messiah, uh, God incarnate, Jesus Christ, to the earth, is also represented with the Holy Spirit there at the time when Jesus Christ is baptized, that dove coming down upon him, the Holy Spirit dwelling with us. The Spirit of uh, God. And as that little boy would grow up, he would be blessed with wisdom and with counsel and with strength and with might. All from the Lord himself. Verses 3 and 4 and 5, it says, His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of, the, of his ears. Was Jesus Christ himself able to look at that lame man that was dropped down to him on the floor from the ceiling that his friends had to remove? And what did he say to that lame, paralytic man? Your sins are... And everyone gasped. Why? Only God can do that. Only God can see into the heart of a human being and know what is in the secret recesses of their very soul. All prophesied a long time ago, some 700 years before it would even uh, happen. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. You see there on the, the Mount of Beatitudes, the very first sermon that Jesus would preach in Matthew chapter 5, going multiple chapters afterwards, quoting many of these same verses here to the people that were literally scattered on that hill as Jesus was preaching to them there on the Sea of Galilee. What were some of the verses that Jesus said? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, and over and over again, quoting many of these same things that we see in the book of Isaiah. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist, just like we learned on Sunday. God is faithful. Only God is true faithfulness. Only God can always be faithful. People will always fail, but God will always be faithful. Jesus Christ, the embodiment of God here on this earth, was 
faithful literally to the end. And will he always be faithful? Yes, he will. In fact, in the book of Revelation and throughout the New Testament, we find out that Jesus Christ is the groom. And who is the bride? The church. Will God always be faithful to his bride? Will Jesus Christ always be faithful to his bride? Yes, he will. Us, uh, the church, the people who at many times fail him, he is always faithful to. It's literally the center point of who he is. His faithfulness, uh, that, that belt around his waist. The one that literally holds up his pants, you may say. Verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. Have you heard those verses before? Have you heard those quotations before? Yes, I'm sure many of us have. Uh, these are all quotations that point to the millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ will reign here on earth in true faithfulness. This is whom uh, we worship. This is whom uh, we serve. The cow and the bear shall graze. And you probably haven't heard the rest of these verses because they're more archaic or, or more, you know, not normally a read altogether. But to understand that these herbivores are hanging out with these, you know, meteors, right? Carnivores. The, these Animals that normally would fight with each other and eat each other, what are they doing? They're hanging out together in peace. They're hanging out together in such a way where they're not fighting. Uh, they are not eating each other. What is happening here? God is literally changing the very nature of creation itself to before the fall of man. You see, before the fall of man, was there any shedding of blood? That means that there was no animals eating animals. There was no people eating animals before the fall. What was in the garden there? It was plants. It was the, you know, the produce of the garden of Eden itself. Those amazing fruits that would grow on the trees without any form of tending whatsoever. Adam and Eve did not have to tend the garden. The garden just produced fruit for them. It wasn't until after the fall that the weeds came. It wasn't until after the fall that Adam actually had to work for a living. It wasn't until after the fall uh, that Eve herself had to bear children in pain. The amazing thing is we get a glimpse of what it will be like in the future when sin has been wiped away. When the earth itself will be brought back to a state in which Jesus Christ reigns and everything, all of creation knows it. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down uh, together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand uh, in the viper's uh, den. Isn't this amazing? And we say, you know, um, you would never allow any of your children, hopefully, to never go near any form of a reptile, right? Especially one that's poisonous. Uh, you know, my, my sons have asked my wife 
if they could have a snake before? And her immediate answer is, no, of course not. Not until you're out of the house, right? Because she's heard the horror stories. She knows, you know, those, you know, it can escape and go behind a furniture somewhere and then she'll find it or something like that. Verse 9, they shall not destroy nor, nor hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And this is the most amazing part. And yes, it's amazing that animals that would normally eat each other, uh, all, the, all the, you know, the peace that will happen during this time. But the most amazing part of these verses is that the Lord will reign. The Lord will be in charge. It is God who will change the very nature of who uh, we are. So much so that you will be able to retain the knowledge that you get from God. You will be able to retain the knowledge that you read now. And, and you probably understand this. Maybe, you know, you've become a Christian later on in life and you don't know the books of the Bible or you don't know, you know, the Bible verses or things like that. And you try and you try and you try and you try to memorize. You try and retain the knowledge that you read earlier just an hour or two before. The amazing thing is, God's going to give us his knowledge directly. As it says here, even as the waters cover the sea, it will be vast and you will be able to retain it all. Isn't that an amazing thought? Verse 10, it says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. And this, again, goes all the way back to uh, David's father, who shall stand as a banner of, to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. You see, Isaiah's ministry primarily was to the nation, the southern kingdom of Judah, Jerusalem itself. But the intent of the entire book of Isaiah and even the entire Old Testament is to the world, not just to the Jews, but to whom as well? Everyone else who is not a Jew, defined as the Gentiles themselves. Has this always been the plan of God? To include the entire world. Yes it is. Yeah all the way back to the time. Of Adam and Eve. All the way back to the time of Abraham. God's plan has always been to the world itself. Not to a single nation. And not just to a select group of people. But that the word of God. Would go forth to the entire world. And as it says here. That even those. Who are not born Jews. Will Seek him. I see many of you in this room. God's desire that the Gentiles knows him stretches all the way back to the beginning. The Gentiles have always been a part of God's plan of salvation. Aren't you glad for that? Yes. Because I know I don't go back to the Jews. I know I don't go back to the Israelites. 
Verse 11, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar and Hamath and the islands of the sea. All these people from all different cultures, all these people from all different walks of life, all these people with different skin tones, all these people from different cultures, what will they be doing? Coming together underneath the banner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. As it says in verses 12 and 13, he will set up a banner for the nations. And this literal word here is Gentiles. All those who are not Jewish, there will be a banner, a standard from which Jesus Christ uh, puts up the Messiah himself descended from the line of Jesse and David. And they will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Also the envy of Ephraim shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. And we read these words and we say, I don't understand this. I don't understand the history of Israel. I don't understand the history of the Jews. You see, at this time, when Isaiah is prophesying, there is literal civil war happening between the north and the south, Israel in the north, and Judah in the south. At this time, the majority nation in the north, or the majority tribe in the north, is Ephraim, descended from Joseph himself, the younger son of Joseph, who was blessed by his father Jacob when he crossed his arms. You see, the blessing had gone, gone to the younger child of, of, of Joseph, and he now becomes the majority tribe in the, the northern kingdom of Israel. All the kings in the north will descend from Joseph through Ephraim. And at this time, there was civil war between Ephraim and Judah, between Judah and Ephraim. And what is going to happen to the nation that hadn't happened since the time of King Solomon himself. The nation of Israel will again be brought back together, 12 tribes under one king. And who is that king? The Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. From the time of King Solomon's death until now even, there has not been a monarch over a united Jewish kingdom. It will happen. It will come to pass. Verse 14, but they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the people of Ammon shall obey them. The Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. With his mighty wind, he shall shake his fist over the river and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. Do you remember the story in the book of Exodus? When Israel was freed from the nation of Egypt, 
where, where God provided the way of escape, where God literally parted oceans and rivers for the people of Israel to cross over. This will happen again when the nations, but now in the opposite direction from Assyria uh, to Israel, from the nations that surround the Israelite nation as a whole, the people of Israel will return. Uh, that coast that we call the Gaza Strip uh, now, where the Philistines would have uh, would have dwelt, uh, the brother, the twin brother of Jacob, Esau, Edom, the descendants from, and then, of course, the descendants of uh, Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham. Remember the story of Lot. What happened when he escaped from Sodom and Gomorrah? His wife turns around, and what happens to her? She turns into a pillar of salt. He has two daughters. They're up in a cave. They're scared. They get their dad drunk, and what happens? They have children by him. Literally, his sons and his grandsons, the same exact people, Moab and Ammon. The descendants of Lot, uh, these people will also be brought back to a saving knowledge with uh, God himself. Chapter 12. Verse 1, and it continues. And by the way, every single chapter gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And in that day, you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you are angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Now, probably if you have a, uh, an app or, or, you know, maybe in the middle of your Bible there, you'll, you'll see little letters next to a lot of these words in this section. This is literally a, a uh, reinterpretation of a song that was sung uh, by the people of Exodus as they were leaving the nation of Egypt itself. After they had crossed the Red Sea and seen all those Egyptians literally just floating around in the Red Sea. It was Miriam who took up that tambourine and she started singing. The, the sister of Moses himself and singing. And this is part of that song. It was the song of comfort. It was the song of strength. It was the song of salvation. Repeated now, not from escape from Egypt, but from a greater bondage, sin itself. You see, every single one of these phrases here in this verses, these two verses, alludes to the nation of Judah and the Messiah. You see, if you ever look up the definition of the name Judah, it literally means God is praised or praised. The very, the very sound or the definition of the kingly tribe of Israel, Judah itself, praises who God is in his very being. And then, of course, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, like we learned on Sunday, what is the definition of Jesus? Salvation, alluding to, again, of the Messiah. All of this descended from the tribe of uh, Judah itself. Verse 3, therefore, with joy, 
you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, Judah. Call upon his name. Declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. This praise song to the Messiah himself, the one who would come from the line of Jesse, descended through David, the king himself, who would come and establish a kingdom that would not end. Everything pointing to, prophetically, to when Jesus comes in the future. Verses 13, or chapter 13 there. We're going to see this phrase repeated over and over again. Over again. It's the burden. The burden against. This phrase will be repeated in, in chapters 13, chapters 14, chapter 15, 17, 19, 21, and 23. Every single one of these chapters will start with this burden that Isaiah has been given. This burden that God has given to Isaiah to share with the people. In fact, many of the prophets are given this exact same phrase. You look up Nahum, you look up Habakkuk, you look up Malachi. They all start with this phrase. Every single one of these prophets of God have been given a burden for the people that they are to prophesy to and you probably have been given a burden too in fact i know you have you've been driving down the road someone that you see is in need and god gives you that burden maybe someone on campus god tells you go and pray for that person As someone that you know at work or someone in your family that god pricks your heart and says go and be there for that person and sometimes we don't obey. What happens when we don't obey? You know that feeling. What happens to your heart when you don't obey the burden of the Lord? Your heart gets heavier. You feel it in your soul. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you, saying, go. It's okay. The, the, the opportunity is still there. You can go back and do it. And until you give that burden away, it will be placed upon you to do. And you can be blessed for it, or you can be burdened by it. It is the privilege that we have to release that burden. And to go to that person and say, how can I pray for you? Or how can I help you? Or how can I be for you today? And then that burden is now lifted. What happens to your heart when you actually carry out the will of the Holy Spirit that's pricking your heart. You know the feeling too. What happens? Your heart is lighter. You're joyful. You obeyed the Lord in that instance. The burden has been lifted from your heart. Same thing with the prophets of God. They were given specific burdens to specific groups of people. In this case, in Isaiah's case, we're going to see a whole bunch of different nations. In the case of Nahum, you know, it's to, uh, you know, the na nation of Nineveh, 
in the case of Habakkuk and, and Malachi, it's to the nation of, of, of Judah or Israel itself. But to, the, uh, but to the prophet Isaiah, it's to various groups. And the very first one that he has a burden for is the nation of Babylon. What does it say about the burden against Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Maz, saw? Lift up a banner on the high mountain. Raise your voice to them. Wave your hand that they may not enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger. Those who rejoice in my exaltation. The noise of a multitude in the mountains. Like that of many people. A tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together the lord of hosts musters the army for battle they come from a far country from the end of heaven and the lord and his weapons of indignation to destroy the land you see at this time babylon was not a mighty nation it was the assyrian empire that was the mighty nation on the planet that was ruled literally with a fist of iron and weapons of war but Babylon is going to be raised up by God to destroy the Assyrian Empire. God is going to use the nation of Babylon to discipline not only the people of Judah in the south, but also the Assyrian Empire as well. The, the mighty kingdom at this time. It says in verse 6, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. God will use the nation of Babylon itself as his form of discipline or wrath to the world. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate he will destroy its sinners from it for the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light the sun will be darkened in its going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine i will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity i will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. You see there's going to be a contrast. And we're going to see it later on. This contrast between pride. And humility. Yeah, we have, this isn't the first time we've seen it in Isaiah. And this isn't the last. All throughout Isaiah. We're going to see the distinction. Between pride and humility. God will always bring down pride. And he will always raise up. Humility. He will always raise up the humble in fact he will search the entire world for those that are humble those that don't brag those that are humble in who they are in god verse 12 i will make a mortal more rare than fine gold a man more than the gold wedge of ophir therefore i will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger, it shall be as the hunted gazelle and as a sheep that no man takes up. Every man shall turn to his own people and everyone will flee uh, to his own land. Everyone who is found will be thrust through and everyone who is captured will fall 
by the sword. What it is saying in these verses is men will be as uh, well less scarce than gold itself. Gold will be found before you can find a mortal person. A gold will be found before you can find a person that is alive in this area at this time. Verse 16, their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Will this be a terrible time? In fact, in the book of Daniel, chapter 5, verse 25, and you remember this story. This was the story of, of King Belshazzar as he, he's sitting on the throne, drinking from the cups that his dad had stolen or taken or confiscated from the very temple of God itself. Those gold and silver cups, as they're drinking and partying, writing on the wall appears. A finger starts to write on the walls. And it said, Mene, Mene, Tekel Upsarin. Literally meaning that this very night your kingdom will fall. As they're partying in this throne room with the articles of, that were supposed to be sacred from the temple itself. The enemy is waiting outside to destroy Babylon. And by the way, it predicts the enemy perfectly. A nation that wasn't even a nation at the time of the writing that Isaiah is writing this. It says in verse 17, Therefore I will uphold the Medes against them, who will not regard silver, and as for gold, they will not delight in it. Isaiah, some 230 years before this event even takes place, is prophetically with pure accuracy predicting the fall of Babylon through the Medes and Persian Empire how it would even be taken over during that time. Verse 18, also their bows, bows will dash the young man in pieces and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb and their eye will not spare children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldean prides will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. This once mighty nation for which many of the nations would come who was literally the world power some 50 years after the time of Isaiah after conquering the Assyrian empire this once or this this future mighty kingdom will be destroyed prophetically by another kingdom that's not even around at this time of writing the Medes and the Persian empire how much so will the babylonian empire be destroyed the comparison to sodom and gomorrah and you know what happened to sodom and gomorrah right complete devastation it shall never be inhabited nor shall it be settled from generation to generation nor will the arabian pitch tents there nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there but wild beasts of the desert will lie there and their houses will be full of owls ostriches will dwell there and the wild goats will caper there the hyenas will howl in their citadels the jackals in their pleasant palaces her time is near to come and her days 
will not be prolonged. What will happen to the future mighty kingdom of Babylon itself? It will be destroyed. Chapter 14. For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel and settle them in their own land. The strangers will be joined with them. They will cling to the house of Jacob. Then people will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them for servants and maids in the land of the Lord. They will take them captive, whose captives they were, and rule over their oppressors. If you remember during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, after the Babylonian kingdom had been destroyed by the Medes and the Persians, by the way, there was a guy who was a cupbearer by the name of Nehemiah. And what did he ask? That king that had defeated the Babylonian empire that Isaiah would predict would happen. What did he say? As, as his lord or as his king is looking at him as he's bringing this cup and he sees a sad face on his servant's face. And what does he say? What is troubling you? And Nehemiah says, my people, they don't have a homeland. They, don't, they can't go back. And what does that king do for Nehemiah? What does that king do for Ezra? He literally writes them a rite of passage. And they're able, predicted by Isaiah himself in chapter 14, would come back to the land of Israel itself. Not during the Babylonian Empire. Not during the Assyrian Empire. But by which empire? The one that was predicted that it would happen to the Medes themselves or the Medes and the Persians. Verse 3, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and hard bondage in which you were made to serve. And you'll take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, this proverb that Isaiah is going to write about of this prediction that would happen, that the people of Israel would return. Now, of course, it's 70 years. Yes, it is a long time that they are in Babylon and also later on in the Medes and the Persians. But what's going to happen? Will they return? Is God faithful to his promises? Is God faithful to his prophetic word? Yes, he is. How the oppressor has ceased. The golden city ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers. He who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he who ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon saying, since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against you. This once proud nation. And you can read about it in the book of Daniel. You can read about it in this chapter. You can read about it in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. All these prophetic events come true. God will bring this about. He will bring down the proud. Hell from beneath you is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. 
It is raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. They all shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought down to shoal, and the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you, and the worm covers you such such amazing language about the fall and the, of the pride of a nation that was once the might of the earth who once dwelt in leisure and comfort and was full of entertainment and what happened to that once great nation it was brought down the very bowels of the earth shoal itself as it says here and of course the descriptions that go on is just absolutely very descriptive verse 12 how are you fallen from heaven O lucifer son of the morning and all of a sudden we our eyes open because it's not just about Babylon. It's just not, not just about a nation that was here on this earth that was brought low. It's not just about a mighty people that have fallen. It's about pride itself. Before Adam and Eve sinned, before Adam and Eve disobeyed God, there was one that disobeyed God from the very beginning. This literal picture that we see here of Lucifer. That angel who lifted himself up to the very heights of heaven itself and wanted to be worshipped like God. The pride of Lucifer described in these sections. What is going to happen to pride itself? It will be cut down. It will be brought low. And we can say, oh, that's Babylon. Oh, that's Lucifer. Is pride rampant today as well? Can pride be rampant in the church too? Can pride be in every single one of our hearts where I say, I would rather have the praise. I would rather have the glory than God himself. And we tell everybody about our accomplishments. We tell everybody about what we are or who we are or our title or our accomplishments in the Lord or whatever it may be. And will God bring down the proud? Yes, he will. Just like Lucifer, the son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. You see, there is a spiritual warfare that takes place behind every single stronghold here on the earth. There, there is a, a spiritual warfare that is going on behind not only our nation, but the nations of the world. The dominions and, and the rulers in dark places. That Lucifer is controlling. And why? He's trying to bring the world into a bondage. To weaken the nations. As it says here. To bring down his will. For who you have said in your heart. I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne. Above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest 
sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Who did Lucifer want to be equal with? God himself. And can anyone be equal with God except God? No one can. And the fall was great. That once beautiful angel, yes, created, but beautiful among all of the other creations. What happened to that proud heart? Cast down. And by the way, hell has been reserved for him, as it says in verse 15. Yet you shall be brought down to Shoal, to the lowest depths of the pit, who is in the bottommost parts of hell itself. Hell wasn't created, or hell wasn't created for anybody else except for Satan himself. You'll find out more about that when we get to the book of Revelation, by the way. Fallen from heaven is a figure of speech, meaning cast down from an exalted political position. Jesus quotes these same verses in Luke chapter 15. Did you know that? These same verses Jesus quotes. Luke chapter 10 verse 15. And you Capernaum who are exalted to heaven, you will be brought down to Hades. Even during the time of Jesus Christ was their pride rampant on the earth. It says, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Those people that he, Jesus literally grew up with in Nazareth, Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, they brought him to a cliff and were about ready to push him off. Why? Because they didn't want to hear the quotations from this book itself where Jesus quotes the predictions that who the Messiah is. And by rejecting Jesus Christ, who do they ultimately reject? God himself. Verse 17, then the 70 returned with joy. These are the disciples that Jesus had sent out two by two saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're bragging to Jesus Christ. It's amazing. I saw demons leave when I said your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like the lightning from heaven. <gasps> Before Adam and Eve were alive, the fall of Lucifer himself, who was there watching it happen? Is Jesus Christ eternal? Oh, yeah. He was there at creation. He was there, as it says here, even when the fall of Satan himself. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the earth, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Again, referring to whose power? Not my power. Not, not something I can muster in my own strength. I'm just barely hanging on up here. I was just barely hanging on on Sunday. Now, I was just barely hanging on knowing that I could not do it in my strength. Who gives us the strength when we are at our weakest? It's God himself. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. The spirits are subject to you, 
but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. This is the perfect segue into communion. Friday morning, my dad passed away. Friday morning, I watched at 120 to 145, my dad take his last breath. And it's not me that has any strength to be up here whatsoever. But I know where my dad is now, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know where he's at. It's the privilege of knowing that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That our names are written permanently in the blood of Jesus Christ in heaven. This is the privilege that we have. And when we take communion tonight, we get that privilege of knowing and sharing together the surety of our salvation. Not in something that I have, but in whom the promises of Jesus Christ himself. The end of this chapter, it goes like this. And I will just be quickly going through this section. Verse 16, those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world as a, a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who, who did not open the house of his prisoners, all the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house, but you are cast out of your grave. Again, referring to Lucifer, referring to Babylon, referring to any person that has pride in their heart like an abominable branch like the garment of those who are slain thrust through with a sword who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot you will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people and the brood of evildoers will never be named what does pride do not only to the person that's proud but to everyone around them it destroys it brings down Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. For I will rise up against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and the remnant and the offspring and the posterity, says the Lord. All remembrance will be brought down, will be destroyed and I love the play on words, even in the English. Verse 23, I will also make a possession for the porcupine, the marshes of the muddy water, and I will sweep it from the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. Who is always in control? Even when we are at our lowest, who is always in control? who is always sovereign. It is God himself. He is always faithful. He will always stand. He will always be there. That I will break the Assyrian in my land and all my mountains tread from underfoot. Then his yoke shall be removed from them and his burden removed from their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed. And who will annul it? 
Read the book of Daniel. It's amazing. Not only how God controls the rising up and the fall of nations, but even the hearts of the most uh, proud of people, the kings themselves, as God is able to bring low and raise up. When God purposes it, it will come to pass and no one can annul it. No one can stop it. No one can bring it to an end. His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? This is the burden which came in the year that King Ahaz died. And remember the four kings that Isaiah is speaking to. Remember there was Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz. The first three kings have now died. The last, the last king will be for the next 52 chapters in Isaiah. From now, the end of chapter 14, all the way to chapter 66, it will be King Hezekiah. It will be the longest, the second longest reigning king in Israel's history or the nation of Judah's history. That now will be the focus of the remaining chapters. Verses 29 and 30. Do not rejoice, all you of Philistia, because of the rod that struck you is broken. For out of the serpent's roots will come forth a viper, and its offspring will be a fiery flying serpent. The firstborn of the poor will feed, and the needy will lie down in safety. I will kill your roots with famine, and it will slay your remnant. Wail, O gate, cry, O city, all you of Philistia are dissolved. For smoke will come from the north, and no one will be alone in his appointed time. Verse 32, what will you answer the messengers of the nation? That the Lord has founded Zion and the poor of his people shall take refuge in it. What does God do to the proud? He brings them down. And what does he do to those that are poor in spirit? What does he do to those that are humble? What does he do that those that fear and tremble before God he will raise them up. And we'll see more of that in the very next chapter. You see, this is still happening today. Prophecy is still being fulfilled today. It did not end back in the time of Isaiah. It did not end when Jesus came back to earth. Prophecy is still being fulfilled today. And I see it in you. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. And tonight we have the privilege of taking communion. And around the room, there are tables with communion elements on it. And I invite you, come forward as we read these next couple of verses. Grab a cup. Uh, gra grab the, you know, the elements and take them back to uh, your seat. We'll take them together. In Matthew chapter 26, and I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll go back over it. This is Jesus Christ, his very last meal with his closest friends, his disciples, his apostles that have walked with him for three years. This is the, the supper where we learned about on Sunday where knowing the person who would betray him, he partakes in a meal with that person. And knowing that those people around that table would literally scatter, all of them except for John, who would be there at the foot of the cross, 
would leave. All of those men around that table would literally disperse. Some of them even naked. Where, where they would go with despair in their hearts. Where some would even deny him like Peter did. These are the ones that are gathered around the table with Jesus Christ at this time. Sharing the meal with Jesus. And what does he say to them? Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, and we do this together as well. Take, eat. This is my body. And can you imagine those disciples around the table? And it, it wasn't wafers like what we have. It was bread, hunks of bread. They're passing around, tearing off that bread, sharing the exact same loaf around the table, knowing as Jesus is passing it to the one who would betray him, the one who would share that piece of bread with him. And at the same time, asking God to forgive them experience as they chewed that bread understanding that this would be the last meal that they would have with jesus christ verse 27 and then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins you understand what this represents? Yes, I know this isn't, you know, wine. I, I know this isn't the exact blood of Jesus Christ, but the representation, the sacrament, knowing that as we take it, what are we doing? We're remembering the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And what does verse 29 say? But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And if you've ever lost a loved one, this verse is for you. If someone that you knew, that knew Jesus Christ, and the remembrance is, maybe it's a dad, maybe it's a mom, maybe it's a loved one that you know. Maybe it was a friend. To know beyond a shadow of a doubt that one day what will happen is we gather around the lamb's feast, the wedding feast. When we get to see not only our loved ones again, and yes, that's just a side bonus. But we get to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ like his disciples are doing at this time and sharing a meal that's better than just a little plastic disposable thing with real food that has real taste, better than any food that you've ever had on the planet ever in your life, with taste buds that can taste better than the tongue that you have now. And we get to share that with our loved ones, 
before the very feet of Jesus Christ. As it says in verse 29, but I say to you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with whom? You. Not just those disciples that were there, but all the disciples that would come after the apostles. All the disciples that would follow Jesus Christ throughout the ages, us included. And in that verse, verse 30, that we always do on a Wednesday, on a communion Wednesday, and it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And I was praying about this all week. What, what song, Lord? Which song? And the song that the Lord just brought to my mind is when the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder. I'll be there. Join with me as we sing this song. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the sediverse shall gather over on the other shore. And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that proud and crowded morning, when the dead in Christ shall rise, and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen one shall gather to their home beyond the skies, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. And so, Father, tonight we thank you. And Father, tonight, we thank you for being our comfort. And Lord, thank you tonight for being here with us and reminding us again, just like you do every single time we take communion, just like we do every time we gather together, that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that one day we also will get to share supper with you, that we will get to share a feast with you, Lord. And Lord, I know my friends, my family in this room, we are looking forward to that time. 
Lord, I thank you for the burdens that you have given to us. I thank you for the burdens that you have blessed us with to give away to those around us. And Lord, I am so grateful for the people represented in this room and those that are online even now that serve faithfully day in and day out. Who at times they, they're so tired and yet they still come back. Who are, who are worn out and yet they still come back. Lord, I ask that you would give them strength and you would give them encouragement, Lord. And help us those burdens that you've given to us to share those with those around us, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for coming alongside of us and bearing the burden with us. That you give us strength that does not end. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. And amen.